0: hot off the press peers, we've partnered with global tech giant Alibaba to produce our latest podcast, The Build-Up. Over 10 episodes, The Build-Up profiles a diverse range of Australian millennial entrepreneurs as they demystify startup culture and relay formulaic advice to those wanting to take the entrepreneurial lead. Consider it the tech manual for tech-built businesses. Sit back and tune in now to the build-up by Ali Baba, Australia New Zealand on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or at the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers Podcast, powered by the Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers Podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitano, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. This week's guest, the brilliant Lisa Q, is a fashion designer hailing from Australia, but based in New York City. Lisa launched her own label in 2018 when she was a student at Parsons School of Design. In this intimate interview, Lisa reflects on the unspoken expectations that come with being a child of immigrant parents, navigating through the struggle of thinking you're not enough and the truths the devil wears Prada got right. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Lisa. Lisa. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be
0: here. Amazing. So you look, you and I recently connected via LinkedIn and when I looked into you and all of the, the amazing work you're doing in the fashion space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to talk about everything and share my thoughts.
0: Amazing. Awesome, Lisa. Well, For those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yes. So my name is Lisa Q. Um, I'm a fashion designer based in Sydney, Australia right now. I used to be based in New York City. So my fashion label is also called Lisa Q. And I also have a little dog accessories brand on top of that. So I do e-commerce businesses and um, direct-to-consumer. So mostly my fashion label for professional women um, based in New York and around the world.
0: So incredible, Lisa, when I was looking into you and I think I stumbled across the Forbes and the 30 list when I found you, but I was just like, this is just so incredible what you've been able to do in such a short amount of time and you're still very young. And I was just like, I can't wait to dive into it with you today and I need to have you on. But before we get into it, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, what did your parents do? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my parents were uh, both immigrants from China and they didn't speak much English and they still don't. So they actually work in a restaurant that they now own. Um, it's like a little Chinese restaurant, like a little westernised Chinese restaurant in the suburbs, nothing too special. Um, they never expected me to go on to do fashion or have my own business. Um, I was actually supposed to go on to be an investment banker or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so definitely a different path than what they expected, but um, they've been they've been very supportive throughout my whole career. So it's just been about what makes me happy and pursuing something where I can be good at it and comfortable uh, with myself in my career. Mm.
0: I love that. And, you know, I'd love to explore a bit more about, you know, Lisa, the early years, you said, you know, Chinese restaurant in the suburbs, you know, I can only imagine just probably growing up as a normal kid here in Oz, but talk to us a little bit about the things you love to do as a child and kind of your, your teen years and then how that really shaped, you know, your move to New York and studying at Parsons.
1: Yeah, of course. So I have a very interesting background. So, um, Yeah, I pretty much started as a very academic kid. My parents pushed um, academia on me. I went to a selective high school in Sydney, so it was for gifted and talented, and I was always going to do something academic in my career, something conventional like law or accounting. I actually personally loved economics when I was in high school. I always thought I was going to do a Bachelor of Economics at um, UCID, but it turns out that wasn't the path for me. Um, And it all kind of started back when I was like maybe – I'd say four, five years old. Um, I used to play with my Barbies and my parents didn't have much money when I was growing up. So I couldn't ever afford to get like a lot of dresses or anything to my, like, you know, outfits, my Barbies. So I pretty much made my own. I used to get Kleenex tissues and Scotch tape and my mum would drive me and she'd be like, no, you can't waste all this stuff. But, you know, five-year-old me was like, but I'm having a runway show, mommy, like, <laughs> like my Barbies need clothes. <laughs> um so i used to i used to like make little outfits my barbies out of um kleenex issues and then um my mom used to buy me these little japanese kits where you could they didn't have any english on them they were all all in japanese and they basically were like these felted um little kits where you could make little handbags or pencil cases or dolls um you had to hand sew them but there wasn't any instructions because i couldn't read japanese so i kind of just made my own ones up and just tried to make something that looked like the image that was on the packet. Um, So that's how I first got into sewing. And then in high school, I had a textiles and design class where I learned to sew. And I made my first dress when I was in year eight. And let me tell you, it was so ugly. (laughs) (laughs) The ugliest (laughs) thing. (laughs) But I was so proud of it. I just thought to myself, (laughs) okay, I made something. I can wear it now. It's mine. Um, And that was a beautiful feeling. So that's how i kind of got into fashion but i was never really into fashion like i never liked fashion or I, I, even to this day i don't follow any designers i don't I've, been, I've never been into a fashion week um i have no interest in the fashion world really i think my interest was really creating things and making beautiful objects like appear into the physical world um so yeah and then i think in year 12 it came down to the point where i had to decide what to do with my career and i decided economics was probably not for me and I wanted to do fashion design and my parents Mm. said the ultimatum was if you can get into the best school in the world for fashion you can do fashion (laughs) (laughs) so that was it I had to get into Parsons um which I did fortunately
0: (laughs) it's just so incredible and and just you know so much of what you're saying I personally resonate with you know Almost parents having kind of that view of you've got to be the best, and if you are going to do something a bit strange, then make sure you do it the best. You know, how did that affect you? I guess you know, growing up and even perhaps today that that mentality of like high achievement. You know, did you ever struggle with that? That trying to navigate through that and perhaps not seeing yourself as that kind of person. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about how we can navigate through the struggle of perhaps not seeing ourselves as high achieve, but to achieve is but knowing that we have to be
1: yeah so i still struggle with this um today i struggle with this every single day in some ways it has has had a really positive impact on my life and my career in some ways it's had really negative impacts on my career and my life um i think it's just a balance you have to maintain especially from immigrant families like because my family obviously came from china they had nothing to start with they you know they built everything they have today so there's always an expectation that i would build something more than what they have and live a better life than what they had because of all the opportunities that they struggled to give me it was also very much like um it just wasn't conventional what i wanted to do it wasn't conventional what the path i pursued and it was scary to my parents so i wanted to show them that i could do better than that um better than you know what they, they expected me to do just so i could one prove them wrong but two have the security to show them that they didn't have to be worried about me and i think the biggest problem was always growing up it was just never enough It was never enough, but not because my parents didn't think it was enough, but because I thought it wasn't enough. And it's always just been this consistent struggle. Whenever you achieve something, you think, what's next? What can I do now?
0: It's just so true. I resonate so much with that. For those of you listening in, I'm furiously nodding my head right now, at least I just so agree. Um, How can we navigate through the struggle of thinking that we're not enough?
1: I think it's a matter of perspective. You really have to take a step back and think, you know, five years ago, if I was looking at myself today, what would I think about myself? Would I be proud of myself? Would I be disappointed? Um, Most of the time you would never really be disappointed because you've in some way grown, like have grown, even if it wasn't like that much career growth, at least personal growth you've developed in some way. And it's definitely perspective to look back and reflect um, to, to where you have been, where you will be, and just be proud of what you've done because you've done what you've done. You can't change the past. So you can just accept what you've done now and be proud of it.
0: What's something that you're currently really proud of?
1: I'm currently really proud of. I don't know, I think everything really I know that sounds really like almost narcissistic, but um I've I've built a lot and I'm like it's been a hard year for everyone. Um, especially just, you know, COVID and everything that's been happening. And I think just the resilience, like my emotional resilience, my physical resilience and my mental resilience has just been something I'm proud of.
0: I love that. And you hundred percent should be. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. So I want to dive a bit deeper into the story. So, you know, you got into Parsons, it was all happening. Your parents were happy with that. Talk to us about moving to New York at such a young age. You know, it's a city that I have a personal deep love for. It's where this podcast began. But, you know, talk to us a little bit about navigating through that time and, and really what college and university taught you about yourself and the world around you.
1: Um, Yeah, so I moved two weeks after I turned 18. Um, I was by myself, no friends or family in the US, just me and myself. (laughs) And it was very scary. New York, even when you're an adult, is a scary place to be. It's aggressive. (laughs) It's hostile. (laughs) There's a lot of homeless people. It's very unsafe in general. It's just a crazy, crazy place to be. Um, So as 18-year-old little Lisa, I was very scared. Um, I think that's definitely what I learned. I think I learned resilience. Like I said, um, and just the ability to adapt and be flexible to my surroundings. I think you learn that from a young age and how to care for yourself, how to be independent. I think a lot of like, cause I recently moved home from New, uh, from the U S to Australia and I was dealing with movers and contracts and all kinds of things and moving my business and just heaps of paperwork. And I thought to myself wow, I would not have known how to do all of this if I hadn't lived by myself in New York and had to pay my rent and do everything, like, you know, all by myself since 18. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the experience behind it. So I definitely think that's changed a lot in me.
0: Mm. So, so fascinating. Can you talk to us a little bit about you know, what it was like, what what was it like going to class there? You know, how did the degree you did shape you? And obviously then we can dive into your business, which is really where you founded your business. I think you were still studying. So can you talk us through, yeah, a little bit about what it was like for you and, and kind of how the idea for your business began?
1: Yeah. So, I started my business, when I was, like you said, when I was in college, but um, it wasn't always supposed to be that way. I, I, I literally had moved to New York just to study. I was expecting to get an internship and maybe work for a company in the U.S. for a few years. Like That was my plan. Um, and when I first started school, it was a challenge to adapt because I'd come from an academic background. And you know what? I had never drawn before. I still don't know how to draw to this day. Like Mm -hmm. I don't know how to illustrate fashion clothes and illustrations and everything. I just can't do it. I draw stick figures Mm -hmm. if I have to do it. Um, (laughs) And my entire first year was basically because my degree was a bachelor of fine arts. So My entire first year was fine arts and I could not do it. It was very, very difficult. It was a struggle to change my brain to work that way. But um, I actually did really well my first year, um, I, I was an honors student and everything so i actually just worked my butt off and just learned how to draw and you know did the assignments the best of my ability and uh in my second year i learned how to sew but i had already learned how to sew previously in um, high school because of the class i took so it was like an easy um like transition into that but it just wasn't exciting to me i got an internship and i was working for zach posen at the time i was there for a little while and the, you know what, quite honestly, it's just the industry already burnt me out and I was only like 19. I just was miserable. It was (laughs) aggressive. It was hostile. People were so mean to me. It was like devil wears Prada, but worse. Um, I remember this one time I was out in a snowstorm and the snowstorm, it was, I think it was like negative six degrees Celsius outside. And it was like, you couldn't see like five meters in front of you. And, um, I remember this wasn't Zach the way. this is just an unnamed, (laughs) internship um and basically they made me go out to fetch a bunch of coats in the um in the snow they wouldn't give me an uber they wouldn't give me anything they just just get on the subway and bring us back these coats and it was just like that so i had no mm-hmm. desire really after that internship to work for anyone else because i thought this is just where i'm going to start this is what it's going to be like and it's going to be miserable so actually in my um, third year of school when i was uh, 20 years old i decided i was going to launch my own fashion label I woke up one morning and said, what's going to stop me? Like, who's going to say no? Who's going to say I can't do it? Why should I just do it now? If I fail in this year, I'll still have a year until I graduate. I'll have more experience than anyone else. And I will come into workforce with more experience. I'll just be in a better place. Even if I haven't succeeded, I'll still be in a better place. So that was my mentality behind starting my business. Um, Yeah. So then I just, kind of launched it it was it was, um, it was a big process it I actually um, because I was a full-time student at the time I had to do full-time business full-time like studies it was a lot I barely slept and it was very scary because I had no one guiding me through the process it was all just discovery and then on top of that you had assignments and you had things due you had exams and it was a very stressful period of my life but um, very enjoyable such a learning curve and yeah that's how I kind of started my business.
0: Mm. it's so so interesting oh my goodness Lisa how can we get okay with navigating through the early days and the gray areas of business you know you said that for you you had no understanding of how to start you know and for, for a lot of us I feel like it is that way you know how do we get okay with knowing that we don't know it all and just still being able to keep going and navigate through it
1: i always say that my biggest piece of advice to people when you start a new business and you're looking into something that you don't know how to do is have humility and just be humble and ask questions and not be afraid to do something like that i think that everyone starts somewhere you're never going to know what to do even if you have experience there's always going to be different like challenges depending on your circumstances and your individual situation and I think that you can only navigate it to the best of your degree at the time. So be humble enough that you can ask people and like, don't show off and be like, I know everything. Cause you, obviously you don't, you don't know much at all. And it's it's very good to just be like somebody, I don't know what I'm doing. I would appreciate it so much if you could help me, if you could give me some advice, if you could ask some questions for me, whoever it might be, even if you don't think it directly relates to your line of work, even getting someone else's opinion a different perspective is very helpful. So I think you just have that kind of humility to be able to say, I don't know what I'm doing and it's okay. And it's okay to ask other people.
0: Who were some of the people that you asked in those early days?
1: So I went around to, luckily in, in New York, there was a garment district, which is basically an area of the city where you can find factories and suppliers and everything. So I um, went up to a few factories, brought a bunch of clothes with me, and said, "Hey, these are some prototypes I've made personally. They're not very good shape. They're like they're just they're just very just really badly made. But I really want to turn these into a collection and do production." Most of the factories laughed at me. They said, oh, "You're like twenty. Like relax. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Um, we're gonna, you know, like we're not, we're just gonna think this is a joke." Um, I actually found one factory that I walked into, and they were really kind to me. They said, "We see potential in you." Um, we'd love to help you. We understand that you don't know what you're doing. Um, we'll do it the best we can to help you through this. And I asked them every question, even stuff that didn't relate to my factory or like or creation. I just asked them every question I could. And if they didn't know, if I didn't know something, they didn't know something. Sometimes they'd refer me to somebody who did. Sometimes um, I'd just Google it, I'd YouTube it, or I would just try and make it up myself and make my own path and
0: try it. So, so interesting. How do we keep going when everyone thinks we're crazy and we, we're way too young or we're way too old and we don't know? How do we keep going? What, you What
1: know? Nobody is going to have confidence in you except for yourself. You're the only person who can bring confidence into any situation, into your life, into your work. And I think that's something really important to remember because you're always going to want the validation of other people to tell you you're doing a good job, you can do it but that's not going to happen because it's either jealousy, it's confusion, it's disbelief, whatever the emotions might be. People don't know the full story behind what you're doing. People don't know um, all the the work you're putting into it. They just see the surface level and say you're young or, you know, you're immature or you don't have experience or you don't have enough money or whatever it might be. They always see the surface level but not all the work you put behind it and only you know what you're putting behind it. So just have the confidence in yourself that, you might not get the validation, but you need to be validating yourself at every step.
0: When do you think that confidence came, where do you think it came up from for you? You know, you were 20, you were rolling around New York being like, Hey, I've got this line. I want to turn into like a real brand and business. Where did that come from? And do you think it's something we can cultivate ourselves?
1: i definitely think confidence is something you cultivate um and i hate the term fake it till you make it but you kind of fake it till you make it you <laughs> you start off and you teach yourself that i have to do this and i think that not everyone has that entrepreneurial gene to be honest that like that you can start and just have the confidence to just get into something and put yourself out there But i do think the earlier you do it the better it is because you have less responsibilities in life you're not as comfortable like in a secure job you don't have those kind of things to worry about you have the freedom to fail and then build it up again and do whatever you need to do so i think being an entrepreneur younger is actually better and to and when you have that fire in you that you say hey actually i have this idea and i want to do it now do it now don't hesitate because the more you hesitate and the more you think about it the less viable the idea is going to be in your mind and then you eventually fade out and it just fizzles out so the confidence is something you can cultivate if you just start, you just get going and just comes naturally, I think.
0: Was there ever a point, I'm absolutely loving this, Lisa, sorry, I'm shooting through all the hard questions to you, but, <laughs> okay. I, you know, it's, it's just so interesting. Was there ever a point for you where you thought, oh my goodness, I just can't do this. Like I'm 20, I, I, I'm i like everyone's saying no, or perhaps someone said yes and now I'm 21 and, and I just still don't feel like I can do it. How... How have you dealt with imposter syndrome?
1: I'll be really honest. I deal with this every single day. It doesn't matter how successful I am. It doesn't matter how many articles come out, whatever happens to me, my business, how many sales I do every single day. I wake up and think, did I really achieve this? or Was this luck? Did I really do this by myself or was I helped or whatever, which I know it wasn't. But then in theory, you just kind of think I couldn't have done this myself. There's no way little old me. And I think you just have to fight those voices in your head and say that and just look objectively like this is what I have in front of me this is what I'm doing I can't worry too much about this because I think ultimately imposter syndrome comes a lot from like you said validation from others I think that um you want the validation that you're succeeding and if it's not given to you then you kind of take that into yourself and say okay well people aren't really validating me therefore maybe I don't deserve this um i think it's just cutting out all those voices and really focusing on what you're doing and rather than focusing on the grand picture focus on your individual tasks each day so if you're thinking rather than thinking like oh in five years time i want to be a millionaire and i want to do this think more like today i have to get this collection out and this collection finished and whatever it might be and then you just live your days day by day rather than by grand visions i think that
0: makes sense It's just so, so true, I think we can get so caught up in the big, big goals and the big visions, and that almost like stops us from starting or progressing or moving forward. You know, has there been a time recently where or perhaps let's let's get back to the story has been the, was there a time in the story where perhaps you'd launched or perhaps you're about to launch, but you thought that big vision you had of this label just was gonna be way too hard to achieve
1: i was almost delusional going up to my launch. I just thought, there's no way I can't do this. I'm going to do this. If other people can do this, I can do this. Don't worry about it. And then I launched and I had a thousand pieces of stock in my inventory in my warehouse and I didn't get a single sale. For three months, I didn't get a single sale. And I cried every single day. I thought, what have I done? I spent all this money in my business and I don't know, how I get a single sale, and it's not happening in the way I thought it would be. Um, I've really screwed up this time, and I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think. So. Thank you so much for sharing that. So many of us, I feel, as business owners and entrepreneurs, we we have this preconceived notion of what it's going to be like, and then when it actually happens, we think, "Oh my goodness, it's a lot di- more difficult." What happened next? How did you get through that? How did you make a sale?
1: So my first sale was on discount. My first sale was a Black <laughs> Friday sale. And I just thought, oh, screw it, it's a sale. <laughs> Someone bought my clothes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it was a lot of tweaking because I did paid advertising on Facebook. And it was just a lot of tweaking and a lot of trying this, trying that. And it just takes time. I think you have to re- really be patient with yourself and kind to yourself in this period because, one, yeah. you're, like, your data is learning. So your Facebook algorithm and everything's learning. learning. Like, you need to just give it time. Um, Two, you're trying to figure out what works for you and your brand identity and your voice because it's inconsistent at the start. You always just say, I want to do this. I want to do that. And, you know, you want your customers to be a certain way, but then your customers end up being someone completely different because I thought my customers would be like, you know, like 20, 30, you know, metropolitan type women. And it ends up being more suburban exec- women, like in small businesses or even executives in the 50, 50 45, 50 range. So that's actually more my customer range. Um, and it wasn't expected, but then you just need to pivot as you discover it.
0: How can we get better of, at pivoting when we've already come up with this idea in our head of what we want our business or our or our side hustle or project to look like?
1: I think it comes down to your ultimate goal. So you have to really think about what your ultimate goal in life and in your career and in your business is. Um, Some people have a creative vision and it's just, I wanna be able to share my creative vision. It doesn't matter if I get sales, it doesn't matter if I do whatever it is. I just wanna put my vision out there. For me, it was, I always wanted to build a legacy brand like a brand that I could people would wear and i'd say thousands of women around the world just wearing my clothes like it was it, obviously i would never sacrifice my creative vision but at the same time there's an element of being commercial and viable as a business that to survive you can't put out your beautiful designs if you can't survive so um for me i had to look into what was necessary and if i wanted to survive i had to pivot so i had to sacrifice a little bit of my creative vision a little bit of my audience space and whatever i wanted to do in order to survive. So I think it's ultimately up to what your end goal is.
0: So, so true. Oh my goodness. I'm absolutely loving this, Lisa. I want to talk a little bit about 2020 and, and kind of how you navigated through that. You know, I saw that you launched LQ Collective last year's, which is another business of yours. Can you talk to us a little bit about Navigating 2020, the move back to Oz and the launch of your latest company, LQ Collective.
1: So it has been a crazy (laughs) year. I think everyone can agree it's just not normal. Um, Quite honestly, it's just been very difficult for fashion industry industry in general, but especially for my niche, because I sell luxury professional wear to women in the office space. You're not Mm. going into the office anymore. People just aren't wearing beautiful luxury clothes to the office um my revenue shrunk significantly i let go of a lot of my team unfortunately and i decided that to secure the future of my business in the future and and a long-term vision i would put my entire operation on a hiatus so i'm still selling my website's still active i still have my warehouse and everything going but i don't actively work on it currently i'm actually launching a new collection in june this year so i'm actually going to relaunch as a new brand like as the same brand but as a different identity and the reason I did that was because, like I said, you have to pivot to survive and right now it's not what I sell or what I used to um, sell isn't what's needed in the market. So I don't want to let my business die but I also knew that last year was not going to be a good year to sell and I'd just be sinking cash into it, trying to keep it afloat when it was never going to survive that way. So the best move I could have made for my business would was, was to put it on hold and to wait it out until its circumstances are better so I, um, I actually moved home to Sydney, Australia because my business was obviously, it was a lot it was a lot harder to work on it there. And I also am planning on moving all my operations to Asia Pacific. Um, fortunately, Asia Pacific is recovering a lot faster than the US um, in the scheme of COVID and just everything. So, And 25% of my customers are from Asia. So I think it's just a smarter move to do that. I also love home. I miss being in Sydney. Uh-huh. I miss my family, miss my friends. So it's nice to be back um and yeah and then i actually so i launched two new businesses in the last year which is kind of crazy um i built a new dog accessories brand so it sells um like little doggy sneakers which is really strange but it makes sense if you've ever lived anywhere that snows your dog needs shoes for the snow like little dog boots so i launched that business in eight weeks i built it from concept to market in literally two months yeah and it was partially because i thought can I do it, can I do something that extreme in that short short amount of time? And um, partially because I just really wanted to get out there and I had nothing better to do. And then as I was building that, so I actually have been consulting consistently for the last, I'd say 16, 18 months, roughly around there. Um, So I've been consulting for e-commerce brands, um, doing brand identity or art direction or creative direction or designing or everything related to building a business. And I kept getting recommendations from other people Been asking me, can you, do you do fashion labels? Do you build fashion labels? Can you, can you build me one? So I thought, you know what, there's a big market for this because lots of people want to get into the e-commerce space. And I would have loved to have a consultant when I first started out, there was no one to help me. And I had to figure it out on myself. And so, and there aren't many consultants out there that actually help you building fashion labels and e-commerce brands. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to launch another business because I can never have too much on my plate, which I, I really should have really considered properly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I take on clients now, um, either full service or individual like services or packages. So I do everything from, I can build you a full business. Like so if you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it at all. I will build you and launch you an entire business from ground up. <laughs> um, it's a lot of work. Wow. <laughs> Yes. I don't typically take too many of those on, um, (laughs) but I do do it. I have done it before and I do a lot of more small, small scale things. So Mm -hmm. like people come to me and say, I've never designed before, but I have these ideas in my head. Can you help me like realize them? And I'll design you like a new collection based around that. Mm -hmm. Or they might say to me, I have my collection, I have everything, but I don't have a brand or marketing strategy. Could you help me with that? So it's everything related to e-commerce and that's, Pay my bills right now. That's paying for my living. That's like, <laughs> that's what I'm living off. Um, and yeah. in the meantime, I'm waiting for my business to relaunch in a better market.
0: It's just absolutely incredible, Lisa. Like, honestly, the fact that you have cultivated and built all these skills and just learned, like, figured it out yourself, you know, and now you're selling that skill and that talent to other people and making a living off it. It's just so, so incredible. For our peers, out there listening, how can we get better at valuing our skills, talents, and abilities?
1: Oh, that's really hard. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> especially as perfectionists, um, I don't know, you just kind of have to, Oh, I'll be honest, a lot of it is external validation. As much as I hate saying that, you have to have someone telling yeah. you that you're, you're on the right track. Um, and I think it's just whatever makes you money so you can survive (laughs) you you realize what your skills are and what you value about your abilities when you actually need to pay the bills (laughs) Yeah. yeah whatever you can do to survive
0: i love it oh my goodness lisa this has just been so amazing i've got a couple final questions for you the first one is what do you think has been your greatest failure in this entrepreneurial journey to date
1: I hate the idea of like failing. I don't think I failed yet. I don't think I don't think you fail until you close up shop completely for the rest of your life and you say, That's it, I'm done. The end. Um, I don't I see that as failing and I haven't failed yet, hopefully. <laughs> no, I haven't <laughs> failed yet. <laughs> and I hopefully never will. Um I think yeah, failing really is just giving up, but I have made lots of mistakes. And I think that Mm. mistakes are fine. Mistakes are okay. You're going to have them and you have to learn from them, but you shouldn't fail because that's giving up completely mistakes. You can learn from mistakes. You can progress from, Um, but failing, you can't pick up and start again. You just failed. That's it. That's the end of the game. Mm.
0: So interesting. So for those of us who feel that, you know, we make so many mistakes and we keep making the same mistakes and it makes us feel like a failure, How can we get around that mindset? How can we actually just appreciate that it is what it is and that we are growing? How can we shift our mindset to think that way?
1: I think that's the practice thing. I think you need to continuously fail, make make those mistakes um, again and again and learn from them in order to feel like, you know, you're growing. I I don't know if that makes sense. I think that... um, I don't know. You just you kind of like you like I said before. You just kind of have to fake until you make it. Um, nothing's ever going to be given to you. Nothing's ever going to be certain. Um, you just need to continuously believe in yourself. No one else is going to. And quite honestly, if you don't have that kind of backbone to force yourself through it you probably aren't meant to out to be like an entrepreneur. Like that's a really harsh thing to say. But if you can't be the person who tells yourself, I can do it, no one else is going to. And that's it. That's the end of the day. Like you just can't do it.
0: I couldn't agree more. Oh my goodness, Lisa, over the last couple of years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received, amongst all the struggle and amongst all the building, you've received so much recognition for your work. And most notably, you were featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and you're not even 25 yet. Incredible. What are three key pieces of advice that you'd give to our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out?
1: So the first one was something I mentioned earlier, which is be humble. Always don't be afraid to ask questions, to be humble. Don't show off your successes. You don't need to. They'll show themselves off. I think you just need to be humble about it and always be willing to help others because you're in their stage, you're in their position at some point. And, um, you know, it always comes back to you in good ways. So be humble is one. Uh, Be patient and kind to yourself is the second one. People, you say that, but people don't really absorb that information. They don't really absorb the idea, and it's going to be hard. It's, it's never easy to start a business, even when it's got, like off it's off the ground. Something like COVID is going to hit, and it's going to change everything. Yeah. So just be kind to yourself and know that you're doing the best that you can. And if you aren't doing the best you can, well, put in the effort to do the best that you can, and just be kind to yourself and try that. And the third piece of advice. I would say I was, was given this advice by somebody close to me, and they said that you're the sum average of the five people closest to you. So, surround yourself with people who are loving, who are supportive, who are doing things that you wish you were doing as well, and who will inspire you to do better. And I think that's the kind of people like, they don't have to be successful in their own careers, but I mean, like, or they, like it just in terms of just success in their personal lives or whatever it might be that inspires you to be a better person. So, find five people in your life that you can surround
0: yourself with. So, so valuable, I absolutely love it. Okay, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Lisa, for the phenomenal work you 've done and that you 're doing for really showing us that no matter what age, no matter what hurdles we come across, we actually can go out there and pursue our passion and pursue our dreams, and for that, we really appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on here like it 's been an incredible experience oh, talking to you and answering some questions
0: oh I'm so glad. Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: That's a hard one. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Let me think about that. Um, I think just happiness, seeing just something come to life and it's yours. Nothing can take that away from you. Even if you don't succeed in the way you want to, nothing can ever take that from you. That's something you've achieved and you've grown and that's something you've done. So that's yours forever.
0: Amazing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Lisa, absolutely been had an absolute blast. Where can people learn more about you, your businesses and yeah, all of your work?
1: Yeah, so my fashion label is L-I-S-A-Q-U.com, LisaQ.com. My consultancy is LQ Collective, like C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E.com. I'm also on Instagram, so if you want to reach out to me personally um, or my business Instagram, my business Instagram is L-I-S-A-Q-U underscore, I always respond. So if you have any questions, any advice, whatever it is, I'm always available and happy to help.
0: Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Lisa. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, Peers. Until then. If you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.